Hey, welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and we are going to talk about something that I don't know anything about. Give me one second, because my face unlock is not available at the moment, apparently. Oh. There we go. <laughs> Can your kids use the face unlock to unlock your phone? No. No? Uh-uh. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, your kids don't look... They I mean, they look like you, but not... They don't wear glasses, so I think that's part of ah, it. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right, what you got? Okay, so you chose uh, food science food when science. I gave you the choice. So what is something that is in your spice cabinet that is also a hallucinogen? Ooh, in the spice cabinet that is also a hallucin- yeah, hallucination-inducing chemical. Okay. Yes. Um, Has mind-altering effects. Mind-altering effects. Probably not sugar. Because sugar is not in the spice cabinet. Um, I'm going to go with turmeric. No. No? No, this, <laughs> is, this is a wild a, guess. This is a very popular spice right now. It goes okay. into your pumpkin pie and all oh. of that. Oh, what is that? Is it? That's not cumin. No, not cumin. Um, <clears throat> not cinnamon. Mm-mm, you're no. getting closer. Nutmeg. Yes. Nutmeg. Nutmeg. Causes hallucinations. How yes. much do you have to have? A lot. A lot? A lot. Like a spoonful or? Mm, I mean, it didn't tell me like exactly, but well, you know, putting it in it, your pocket. Find out. We'll okay. make this show interesting. Well, I do know that there's a Nancy Drew movie out there where oh. there's a ghost and it's it's because they have been putting nutmeg in. Hmm. Watch out for your pumpkin spice lattes, ladies. Who says how much nutmeg can kill you? Oh yeah, we don't want to do that. That that would be inconvenient. Can cause you to hallucinate. Oh, two tablespoons of ground nutmeg, one to three whole nutmegs, or five grams of powdered nutmeg. Two tablespoons. All right, we're gonna go on a trip this afternoon. <laughs> no, that's not true. I'm, I'm kids don't do that. We might have to edit that out. <clears throat> well, okay, if we had a larger following in the... Um, but take two tablespoons is a lot of nutmeg. Really? Think about it. Of the ground nutmeg. I don't think it's quite... Okay, we're going to have to go to the kitchen after this and see how much two tablespoons of nutmeg. For for research purposes, we'll have to see what it looks like. I don't think that's too much. Because, I mean, ta- tablespoon, it's the big one, right? Yeah. Two of those... Yeah. Throw it in a glass of milk, you know. Oh, a not a huge nutmeg. Crazy eggnog. But... <laughs> <clears throat> Spice up some Christmas parties this uh, this season. Anyway, <laughs> so we've been talking about the Book of Romans, and Romans is Romans can be really hard because the theology that Paul is expressing here is the universal accountability of all mankind. And I think um, one of the reasons that it's hard is because we we want to think of ourselves as good people, and we want to think of other people as good people. Um, but what Paul does is he starts with he's he's on his way to some incredible things in what's called the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we use the word gospel, we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, the records of Jesus's life, but then also theologically. When we talk about the word the gospel, 
It means the good news, and it's the good news of the significance of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And that's where, um, when Paul starts off, he starts off with, um, well, let's just let's just read it. Okay. I'll, I'll use the. So I have a computer up on my left, and a book in front of me. Let's use the book. <laughs> In chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, the word righteous, I used that word on Sunday, and the word means the perfect justice of God. Okay. And I think, <clears throat> uh, well, in, in God, it's an attribute of God where God is the standard of perfect goodness, perfect. Um, uh, he sets the rules, you mm -hmm. know, he's the rule maker. And, you know, in the pre-show, which is almost always more interesting than the real show, <laughs> um, you know, we were talking about some, some rule things and some things in the world that if we were, you know, in charge, mm-hmm, if we had absolute autonomy to make all the different changes and just force the world to be as we thought it should be. Right. We fixed the world's problems. We didn't appreciate <laughs> it. Um, you know, we, we would want we would want to require people to do what's right. Mm -hmm. Like across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't really matter your political persuasion, any of those things. I mean, certainly, um, you go back to the Ten Commandments, and those things are pretty universal. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be great if we just followed the Ten Commandments? And then a lot of the Old Testament law is actually commentary on the Ten Commandments. Right. So much so that, you know, when it says you shall not commit murder, how do you speak to other people? So now you get into the culture of honor in Ephesians 4 and 5, where we kind of go as our bedrock location for uh, moral behavior and interpersonal behavior. It talks about how you're not supposed to speak unkindly about people. That to me is tough right? Mm -hmm. Because people are sometimes really difficult to deal with. And so the word gospel here means, and I include myself in that, by the way, I know I'm hard to deal with. My wife tells me all the time. <laughs> <clears throat> but when we come back to the word gospel, it's like the whole thing. It's like the package deal. What did Jesus do to rescue us from the problem of sin? Mm -hmm. And then Paul's going to spend three chapters, uh, well, three chapters, part of chapter one, all of chapter two, and part of chapter three, talking about the problem of sin. And systematic theologian uh, Michael Bird that I've been reading a little bit, um, he talks about it like this. He says, talking to people about sin is hard if people no longer believe in it, right? Yeah. We have a hard time with it. He, he advocates dropping the language of sin and using the language of evil, you know, that uh, even <clears throat> Google, Google's motto is don't be evil. That's, that's a good start, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's on the way to being good. At least don't be evil. But then he goes on and he says, um, you know, when you ask the question, am I evil? Well, no. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't, uh, you know, I took a trash out yesterday. <laughs> but then he quotes Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago. And it says this, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. 
But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? I think that's that's really a significant thought, right? <clears throat> that I am not as good as I'm supposed to be, for sure. And when you get into the text of the book of Romans, Paul starts off with the obvious sinner. He, mm-hmm. he starts off with something that everybody can agree with. Right. And we've given him a name. We've called him Mr. Schmutzig. And Mr. Schmutzig, it's a German word. It means dirty, Mr. Dirty. And when Paul goes through and he says, look, the wrath of God is real, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So you have righteousness of God, which is the perfect standard of goodness, and unrighteousness is that not that, right? <clears throat> and he says this, God gave them over. Okay, so you have this person who understands that there's a God from the creation, but yet he doesn't respond, and so God gives him over. And when you look, there's this list. It's called a vice list. It's in verse 29-ish. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. I love that part. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, not only do they continue to do those things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, Paul is creating a picture, right, of the obvious sinner so that Everybody else is looking at this picture and saying, yeah, that guy's bad. Mm-hmm. He's, he's definitely evil. There's nothing really redemptive in his person. Um, <clears throat> you, a very kind person, would try to find, well, maybe there's some external reason. <laughs> but Paul doesn't really give us any wiggle room here because he wants people to start nodding along and agreeing, oh, yeah, that guy's bad, right? And I think that there are examples in history you know, where we can look back and there are certainly dictators who ordered the murder of millions. Yeah. We would, we would say that's bad. Yeah. Um, there's ongoing conflict in different parts of the world where people are being mistreated and hurt. And I don't want to get into the left, right, uh, upside down politics of any of it. Right. Right. Because I, for me, it's like, I look at the scripture and in first Timothy, it says to pray for peace. And so that's, uh, that's what I want. I want peace. Now, sometimes peace has to, you know, use some level of force to, to happen, you know, but we should always be praying for peace. Why? Because our mission to the world is the gospel. Our mission to the world is not, it's not to make everything right. Okay. Okay. So when Paul wrote this, um, this was the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were really friendly people. They, um, they all got along. Yeah, right. Okay, thanks. I was, I was hoping you were going to track with me there. Yeah, so the Roman Empire had what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And Roman peace came at the end of the Roman army. And so if you, oh, I don't know, decided not to pay taxes, <clears throat> the Romans would send some very nice chaps to ask you very nicely to pay taxes. And when you told them no, mm-hmm. then they would send the army and you would pay the taxes. This happened to the Jewish people uh, actually twice in the 60s AD, okay. uh, like late 60s. The, um, the Jewish people revolted, okay? Mm-hmm. So they're like, we're going to kick the Romans out. They started this rebellion. And Rome said, no, thank you. And they, <clears throat> they basically, I mean, they sent the army in. 
They killed a bunch of people. They destroyed the temple. And there were the last holdouts. So the last of the Jewish rebels took, um, hit out, basically, mm-hmm. at King Herod's hilltop fortress called Masada. Okay. So there's only one way to get up there, right? Right. So the Roman army built, you can still see it today, a siege ramp. Okay. okay. So imagine like bucket by bucket of dirt, okay, mm-hmm. um, rock by rock, okay. this ramp to go up this huge mountain mm-hmm. to get these people because they were rebelling against the Roman Empire. And almost all of the people on top of the mountain committed suicide okay. rather than being taken by the Romans. Yeah. So um, there, there's bad people in the world, you know, and there are times, you know, the Roman Empire was not characterized by warm fuzzies. History is not characterized by warm fuzzies. Right. Right. We live in an unprecedented time of peace and prosperity, but yet still. Yeah, I think the bad stuff gets written down more than the good stuff sometimes. Certainly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. The bad stuff gets written down more than the good stuff. I think a little. So I think the way that we write the good stuff is different. Mm-hmm. Like. <clears throat> So I think the way that society expresses the goodness of society is when you notice that more parks are going in mm-hmm. or when you notice that art is flourishing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we came down from Jackson where they have um, murals that they have artists come in and do murals on the wall. It's really mm-hmm. beautiful. But who pays for that? Right. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be paid for. So and you certainly don't paint walls if, you know, Bombs are going to blow the walls apart. Yeah. Um, kind of a waste of effort. Um, so I think we express it a little bit differently. Yeah. So, yeah, I, but I don't necessarily disagree with you. Paul starts with the obvious center. He gets everybody kind of nodding along. And then he goes to the next person, Mr. Morals. Um, and Mr. Morals he's, is the good person. Mm-hmm. And the way that Paul describes him is he says, you who pass judgment on someone else. Um, and, and that's where... You know, the idea of passing judgment, it's not like Mr. Morals is the guy looking at Mr. Schmutzig saying, yeah, he's bad. And then Paul really flips the script and says, but wait a minute, you're not even consistent with your own rules mm-hmm. for yourself, mm-hmm. right? How are you going to make sure that you're perfectly consistent with God's perfect standard of justice? And you're, the honest person would be like, well, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, and Paul, Paul takes people there. And so finally, he, he sort of gets to the person who is religious. And I think this is, this is really significant for people who are religious. I don't think of myself as super religious, right? Okay. Although when, when people say things about organized religion, like as a professional pastor, kind mm-hmm. of bugs, bugs me because I am organized religion. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and what really bugs me is when people say, oh, churches don't pay taxes. Well, pastors do. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Um, so anyway, that's, that's an aside. When he gets to the religious person, I think about some people that I know whose practice of religion, I don't think I, I don't think envy is the right word. I think admiration is the right word. I admire their practice of religion. One of my professors, um, invited us to his home. And so we're looking at his library because we're all book people. And, um, I noticed that he had a prayer kneeler. So it was a, oh gosh, what does it even look like? Looks like a little rack with a place for you to kneel. Mm -hmm. 
and a place for you to lean your arms. Mm -hmm. And there were like rosary beads there. And he's not Catholic. Okay. So he's, he's just in that posture intentionally. Mm -hmm. Right. I think a lot of my prayers, um, are kind of ad hoc. They're where I am at the moment right. and what I'm doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I pray a lot when the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night. Okay. So um, I just, I talk to the Lord, you know, about what's on my heart, what's on my mind. Talk about people I know, you know, mm -hmm. um, had a little prayer session right there. But I admire the guy who is very intentional about it to have a place and a location and a time. I admire that. He was also the kind of guy who advocated for um, spiritual retreats. Okay. And not, you know, the men's retreat was fun. You know, we mm -hmm. went, we had a good time. <clears throat> we played Chicago baseball or Chicago softball, which, um, yeah, it's a super huge ball. And, okay. and so old guys who are, you know, a little carrying around a little too much weight, it's, it's fun <laughs> to play. <clears throat> um, not that kind of retreat. Mm -hmm. The kind of retreat where you go to the monastery and you hang out with other people who are um, following the prayer schedule through the day, gotcha. like they have a rhythm of everything and it's prescribed. Mm -hmm. And so when you fall into that rhythm, it actually challenges you to think about, you know, when the sun comes up, when the sun goes down, you know, when the day is at the middle, when the day is at the end. Mm -hmm. And those things are beautiful. I would have a hard time doing that, right? Yeah. Um, so he advocated for spiritual retreats and he was also known for encouraging spiritual direction. Okay. So a spiritual director is someone who <clears throat> it's, it's not a therapist. It's not a counselor. It's someone who's asking questions like, how are you doing in your relationship with God? Okay. And so it's, it's really specific. It's really beautiful. But is that enough to meet God's perfect standard? Can you do those things perfectly? And the answer is no. And that's where Paul, he looks at the Jewish person. And the Jewish people at Paul's time had a couple of things that they had gotten wrong. Okay. They were given the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was always intended to build a good, strong culture mm -hmm. for the people. And in that strong culture, it had a process to lead them to God in humility, okay. right? recognizing that I don't measure up to the law, how do I have continue a good relationship with God? And a lot of it came back around to <clears throat> a principle of exchange where you recognize that sin brings death. So my sin brings my death. Okay. My separation, not just from my walking around life, mm -hmm. but separation from my life with God. And how do I restore that life with God. And so that's where in the Old Testament you have this priesthood and you have the principle of sacrifice, which was really a principle of exchange. Okay. The life of an animal for my life. I am guilty. I need a substitute. Mm -hmm. The substitute is an animal. And I know, you know, there are kind-hearted people out there <laughs> who can't imagine that an animal would have to take my place or an animal would take my place. But I'm the top of the food chain. And if it's me or the sheep, the sheep gets it every time. <laughs> Just very, very practical, right? Just in very practical terms. If it's me or the sheep, sorry, or it's me or the goat, the goat's going to get it. Mm -hmm. And so this picture was always about the exchange of a guilty life for an innocent life, right? And so that's where in the practice of religion, the people by the law were supposed to learn a culture and learn humility 
The problem is that they began to brag about it. And so if you look in um, chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul says, Now you call yourself a Jew, and if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And so what Paul is saying, like every one of those brags that Paul includes here mm-hmm. is also attested in Jewish literature at the time. Okay? okay. So this law that was always intended to bring people into humility and understand that they were exchanging life for life, now they're like, neener, neener. We got the law. And they're bragging about it. And that's not the purpose of the law. Right. And so you think about, you know, you get back into... God's intent for the people of Israel, that they were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a kingdom of priests to whom? Each other? Hmm. Yeah. Everybody around them. And so God has always had a heart for people outside his community. Mm -hmm. So, and how, and what's the law supposed to do in the community? What is the New Testament supposed to do in the church? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to bring us to humility so that we can serve humanity. Mm Mm-hmm. And we mess it up a lot. Oh, yeah. Right? That's, that happens in the church. So Paul starts by talking about the law. And he says, hey, you've, you've, you've gone off track here. You're using it for the wrong reasons. And then he talks about circumcision. <laughs> <clears throat> now, circumcision, if you're not aware, is a minor surgery on a male's private parts. Um, so uh, don't use Google. Um <laughs> Just, just don't. Uh, use a Bible dictionary or something like that, a regular dictionary. Um, but the thing about circumcision is not where it's located or it really doesn't have anything to do with sex. It's not dirty, okay? It is an external sign of an internal commitment. Mm-hmm. We have those kind of things all the time. Can you think of an example of an external sign of an internal commitment? Uh, wedding ring. Wedding ring, yeah. So I wear a wedding ring, right? Mm-hmm. And so everybody in the world knows that I am the property of Ruth Ann. Mm-hmm. Or property of somebody, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> do you wear a wedding band? I do. Yeah, yeah. You wear a wedding band to signify to the world around you, I'm not available, I'm off the market, completely married, right? What are some other external signs of internal realities? I mean, sometimes people do tattoos. Yeah, tattoos. Um, I, I like the semicolon tattoo, you know, mm-hmm. someone who attempted suicide and decided to continue their life. I mm-hmm. think that's great. Tattoos sometimes have no significance like mine. Um, yeah. just in the wrong place at the right time and young and foolish. Circumcision was an external sign of an internal reality. It that's what it was supposed to be. It could also be used as a war tactic. It's one Circum- of my favorite. Circumcision? Yeah. In the Old Testament. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. There's the they, whole one where they, they convinced yeah. the whole town that, you know, and then while the men were recovering, they went yeah. and wiped out the town. So the, the law of Moses, so the, the Old Testament law, prescribes that children, uh, boys are circumcised on the eighth day, okay? So the eighth day after they're born, um, this little piece of skin is removed from their private area. So for a baby, it's not a big deal. He's right. not doing anything else. Mm-mm. Yes, it hurts. He doesn't remember it. Right. For an adult man... 
it is a big deal. Right. Especially at a time when infection could be common mm-hmm. and the best painkiller you can come up with is granny's herbs. Yes. Right? Yep. So um, could be very dangerous and certainly debilitating. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're absolutely right. In the Old Testament, um, <clears throat> Jacob and Dinah, right? Uh, I don't know. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph, Jacob, yeah, it was Jacob's daughter Dinah. I'm pretty sure uh, they, she was uh, abused by one of the residents of the town, and so <clears throat> the men, his sons, um, convinced the town to get circumcised. And while they were all incapacitated, mm-hmm. they murdered them. Welcome to the Old Testament, folks. <laughs> so, um, yeah, war tactic uh, for an adult man. It's a big deal. Oh, where was I going? Sorry, you're distracted. No, you're good. Um, so circumcision, the, the reason that circumcision became so significant by the New Testament period is this. If you go back in history in the 300s, the Greeks took over the known world. Alexander the Great takes over everything, including mm-hmm. the area of Palestine where the Jewish people were. He's trying to make them more Greek. And so right. they build Greek theaters. They host Greek games. Mm -hmm. They require the Greek language to do commerce. And over time, that would help, that would cause people to become more assimilated to Greek language and culture. But some of the Greeks were, well, the Jews were stubborn, (laughs) right? And the Greeks were in a hurry. And so you have uh, some of the Greek kings would try to force Hellenization, the process of becoming more Greek on the Jewish people. So they said, okay, the circumcision thing, you can't do it anymore. Mm. Also, uh, they forced people to eat pork. Right. Okay. They set up an altar to Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem, and they began sacrificing pigs there. Mm. Now, how do you feel about government overreach? Not very happy. Not, yeah. Just about everybody you ask, you know, how much of the government do you want in your business? Um, the answer is l- none. Right. Right. Um, how happy are you at tax time? Mm. It depends on if you get a return or not, right? It depends <clears throat> on how much my tax money is doing for me. Okay. Yeah. Other yeah. yeah. How much of it's being wasted? Right. Most. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this was government overreach on like a massive scale. And you can read about it in the books of the Maccabees, um, where Jews would literally, they would watch their children be killed for not following through on these things. Mm-hmm. Being forced to eat pork, they would not do it. And there's a story about a Jewish mother who watches her seven children get killed in front of her eyes as she is refusing to do, it was either circumcision or eat pork. She was refusing to do it, and she's having these conversations with her kids. And she's saying, look, trust in God Mm -hmm. because God rules the ever after. This is just temporal. This is just a moment, Mm -hmm. uh, a moment of eternity. And it's a it's a it's a great story. Um, And the Maccabees is full of great stories, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have this guy, um, Eliezer Avron, I think it was. So this uh, the the um, I'm getting ahead of myself. So circumcision became a big deal because of that. It kicked off the Maccabean revolt against the Greeks, Mm -hmm. and the Greeks brought in some war elephants. Mm -hmm. Okay? So 
<clears throat> you can imagine how terrifying this would be. An elephant on a battlefield. You've never seen an elephant if you, before. If yeah. you've never seen an elephant or even like how do you how do you fight an elephant, right? Right. Like just practically speaking. Um, so one of this guy, Eliezer, sees an elephant with an elaborate saddle on top. So he thinks this must be the king. Mm. Okay. So he also wants to show his people that the elephants are not invincible. So he takes a spear and he runs under the elephant. Okay. And he takes the spear and he stabs the elephant in the heart and kills the elephant. The problem with this tactic is that when you kill the elephant from below, it's going to fall on you. It falls on you and you can only kill one elephant. <laughs> and he died. So he died because he was crushed. <clears throat> so all of that history, right? All of that stuff that happened just created in the Jewish people a fanaticism for the law mm -hmm. and for circumcision. Mm -hmm. And so they were they were demanding if you're if you were going to become a convert to Judaism, so this is the 300s BC, there's a short period of independence then the Romans come in. The Romans were smarter than the Greeks. They're still trying they, they to They learned from the Greeks. Yeah, they, they learned. It's like, all right. <clears throat> So the Jewish people had a lot of exceptions. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you were a Jewish person, you didn't have to make an offering to Caesar. You didn't have to serve in the army because the Romans realized, okay, these people are crazy. They're not <laughs> going to go along. We're going to let them be because taxes. So the Romans made a lot of exceptions there. And the Jewish people just firmly held on to the law and circumcision, the unique distinctive marker of Jewish identity. And so a lot of people would become like you had Roman soldiers coming into the area to to you know govern and stuff, and they became fascinated with Judaism. They began to want to follow the one true God. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's great. Until you get to circumcision, <laughs> right? Because remember, you have this is a very risky procedure for an adult man. Mm -hmm. Um and so a lot of them would become proselytes to Judaism and they would stop short at circumcision because that was just they just couldn't do yeah. it. Yeah, couldn't cross that bridge. Um, <clears throat> and even in early Christianity, it was a big point of contention. Do converts to Christianity have to be circumcised? Mm -hmm. And Paul says emphatically, no. Right. Right. Because the reality, and he'll get to it here in Romans, um, the reality is a circumcised heart. And so what Paul is doing in this section, he says, look, even the most religious people on the planet who are dedicated to death for their practice of religion, are still accountable to God. And that's where he gets... Um, <clears throat> uh, 28 and 29 of chapter 2, which I think are beautiful verses. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And that to me is a beautiful idea because it's a hint at the gospel, right? It's mm -hmm. a hint in this very dark, where you have the obvious sinner, the moral person, the religious person. Paul's going to say all of these people fall short of God's righteous standard. Mm -hmm. But the person whose heart is circumcised. And so someone asked me last night, what does that mean? And I said, it means that they're willing to believe. It means that they're willing to come to the scriptures and the law and God with humility, right? Mm -hmm. So if you come to God with humility, there is rescue available, but it has to be God's way, right? 
I'm not going to give the answer. That was one of my promises this week. I'm not going to give the answer. Because <laughs> so, you got to come back next week, right? <clears throat> and so you get to the end. And what, what Paul does here at the end, so the little section 3, 1 through 8, he basically has this imaginary objector who says, you know, but what about this? Is there an advantage to being Jewish? Of course there is. Because mm-hmm. you had the Old Testament. You had all the laws. You had all the, the signs that pointed to Jesus. Um, but then when you get to 319, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared in righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This, to my mind, is, is it's hard because we don't want to think of ourselves as bad people. Mm-hmm. We don't. We want to turn our, our sins, we turn them down to, you know, if you could imagine a dial, and it's the seriousness of sin, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Turn the dial down a little bit, because it's not that big of a deal. It's five miles over. <laughs> Come on, officer, cut me a break. But the problem is that we've taken sin and we've not defined it correctly. Mm-hmm. Because sin is not just breaking a rule. It's breaking a relationship. It's telling God that his righteous standard doesn't matter. And if you can't see it in yourself, but you can at least see it in the world around you. Mm-hmm. You know, turn the news on. Don't don't obsess with the news. That's bad. Turn the news on for a few minutes, and you'll realize there is an awful lot of sin in the world mm-hmm. where people's basic human rights are violated. There are any number of examples. You can think about the war, <clears throat> the ongoing war. So this is 2023. There's an ongoing war in uh, Gaza between Gaza and Israel. Um you could think about the main shooter who took 18 lives before taking his own. Mm-hmm. That is unjust. That is sin. That is wrong. That is rebellion against God. And the little ones are rebellions too. The little things that we do, if it's just five miles over, it misses God's perfect standard. And that's where people need to kind of end. You know, there's a major division in the book of Romans between. 320 and 321. And I left people there, right? Okay. On Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I did it on purpose. And it's hard because I want to get to the good news. Mm-hmm. I want to get to what God has provided for you. But the best I could do, because I want people to wrestle with it for themselves, I want people to wrestle with the idea of sin, the definition of sin. I want to wrestle with it myself. Right, Mm -hmm. So that I'm not making excuses for my sin. The two most beautiful words in the Bible are in verse 21. It's but now. (laughs) But now. And so, okay, in Greek, it's nuni day. Nuni day. (laughs) But now. It just means but now. It doesn't mean anything else. Day is an adversative conjunction, so it's connecting the ideas, but it's also saying there's a difference. Like this is the thing that was... But now there's a thing that is. Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk about the thing that is next week. Okay. So hard ideas. I hope that uh, <clears throat> this, this this goes quite beyond food science, right? Yeah. But we do have to go see what's going on with the spice cabinet, <laughs> specifically the nutmeg. So if you don't see either of us for a couple of days, we're... 
we're not going to do that. We're not no. going to do no. We're not going to eat two tablespoons of nutmeg. No. That sounds gross. No. <laughs>